Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Jesus. 
baptism, it was the anointing of the Spirit. And then the Spirit led him into the desert. And while he was in the desert, he kind of got an idea of what his mission was going to be. Well, now we're going to look at his first ministry, the first record of Jesus' ministry. And it reveals his mission. He kind of spells it out for us. The thing that he learned in the desert, he kind of lays it out there for us now. And Luke develops this, and he does it this way uh, on purpose, I think. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 16 uh, through 21. Luke 4, verses 16 through 21. I just got a phone call from someone. Is it still, are we still on? Is it frozen? Okay, good. Okay, I thought maybe someone was calling me. Uh, that's a weird thing about today. I mean, people call, can call you while you're preaching. You used to when I started this. I mean, you weren't around the phone for like four hours on a Sunday morning. So you didn't know if you had a call or not. They left a message somewhere. So anyway, I just want to make sure that it didn't crash. So Luke 4, 16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth, he being Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, what's interesting about this, about this transition in this first scene of Jesus' ministry is that it takes place in his hometown. The place where a prophet begins. It's the easy audience. The first time I preached a sermon was at my home church on a Sunday night. They figured that I couldn't mess it up too bad on a Sunday night. And it wasn't televised on a Sunday night. Our Sunday mornings were televised. Our Sunday night wasn't. So they're like, yeah, you can do this. Go ahead, Todd. And they invited me to do that. So, so it's kind of that home church feel. I knew that I could stand up and preach in front of the people that were there on that Sunday night. And that they, would, they, were, they were my folks. They were my people. They were people who watched me grow up. Some of my Sunday school teachers were in there. And people who got with me through youth, even though I was a horrible youth. You know, all of those people were there and supported me. So I imagine that kind of scene when Jesus stands up and preaches. But it says, as was his custom. So not only was it his custom to show up to synagogue in Nazareth on a weekly basis. That's what any good Jewish young man would do. But it was also his custom to read and expound on the, uh, the, the uh, scriptures. So this was not a new thing for Jesus, but this was the launch of his ministry. So it takes a little bit of a turn. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, verse 17, was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, let me stop here and say this. This was a regular part of uh, Sunday service, or it was Saturday, actually. I said Sunday, but it was a Saturday service. The Sabbath was Saturday, and it is Saturday in the Jewish faith. And so on a Saturday, it was normal in about the second half of the service together that they would open up a scroll, and they were scrolls, they weren't books, and they weren't smart devices. You didn't turn a page or a scroll with your finger, Right? It was you had to unroll it and read it. Now, there were prescribed scriptures for certain Sundays. And at certain times of the year, they would read certain scriptures. And Isaiah was a normal place that they would read. What we don't know is if he turned to this part of the scripture because it happened to be the scripture for that Sunday or Saturday, for that Sabbath. 
Or he turned to the scripture because he wanted to make the point that he's about to make. Either way, it's a powerful piece of scripture, and it comes from Isaiah 61. And this is what it reads, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Didn't we just read about that? At the baptism, he came out of the water, and the Spirit of the, of the Lord descended on him and anointed him and covered him. And then what led him into the desert? Not rhetorical. The Spirit. And for 40 days in the desert, he was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. So now he stands up and he reads this scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, which we already know because we've been reading Luke. Because he has anointed me, also we know because we read about the baptism. But what has he anointed me for? To proclaim good news to the poor. Now this is kind of the thesis statement of Jesus' ministry. And then these next verses, or this, this next part of this verse, the rest of verse 18 and verse 19, all fall under the heading of proclaiming good news to the poor. So the main idea is proclaim good news to the poor, and everything in this quote that comes after in verse 18 and verse 19 defines what it means to proclaim good news to the poor. So he says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty, or release, depending on what, what version you're reading, to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty or release those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now what's interesting about this quote is that Jesus leaves, or Luke, leaves off part of this quote from Isaiah 61. But the other thing that's interesting is he adds a quote from Isaiah 58. Now, let me explain why that's interesting. Because there was only one time of year where Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61 were used together. Does anybody have any idea what day that was that those two scriptures were melded together in the yearly calendar of the Jewish faith? It's a hard one, and if you would have known, I would have been like, wow, you get a free bag of coffee, and I would have thrown you the coffee. <laughs> but it's Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. It is the most holy day in all of the Jewish calendar. It's the day that you went to the temple, and what did they do at the temple? They made a sacrifice of one animal. And then they released another animal. What was the animal they released out into the wild? A goat. And he was the scapegoat. That's where we get that phrase, scapegoat. So on the Day of Atonement, there were sacrifices for everybody. For It was the daily, it was the one day every year that you came. It was the yearly day when you came and you made a sacrifice for your sin that covered you for the previous year. It was your sin atonement. And then they would release a goat, and that's the scapegoat. In other words, you've been set free. The sacrifice has been made for you. You've been set free. And it was on that day that Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58 were combined. And so when Jesus reads this scripture, he's reading it, I think, for a purpose. He adds both of these Isaiah quotes in here for a purpose. He's in essence saying, 
there's a new day of atonement. And it's breaking on the scene now. Now some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second, he doesn't die as a sacrifice until way later on, like years later after this, right? Yes. But in Jesus' ministry, the, uh, the atonement begins now. The work of God in releasing and setting free begins now, at this moment in Jesus' ministry. So he says, I've been anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. And I told you that that's kind of the, the, the main idea and everything else defines that. But before we get into what those things, how those things define what it means to proclaim, um, I'm sorry, what it means to uh, proclaim good news to the poor, first you have to understand a couple of things. The word for proclaim good news is euangelio. We get the word evangelism from it. It means to tell, to speak, to show, to demonstrate good news with your words. And the good news in this context is always the redemption that God's bringing. He's setting things straight. He's making things right. But then the thing that's interesting is he says to the poor. Now, not rhetorical, I want you to answer this. Who are the poor? When Jesus says this, or when Isaiah says this, and Jesus quotes it, who does he mean by the poor? Okay, poor in spirit, that's part of it. What else? And let me let me let me tighten in on that a little bit more. What does poor in spirit mean? Someone who was sickly, it meant that you didn't have the favor of God, that 
you did something wrong. And so it was the people who didn't have a relationship with God. They had no hope. They had no means. They had no connections. They were ill. All of those things and more. The poor were also considered the wealthy like Zacchaeus. He was poor because he had no connection in the community because the community hated him. Remember in their culture that one of the most important things that defined you was your family and your connections. And if you didn't have connections and if no one loved you, then you were considered extremely poor even if you were a person of means. The thing they valued more than anything else was connection to God and connection to other people. And so the poor were those that didn't have connections. So he's talking about people from every background. He's talking about the haves and the have-nots. He's talking about people who are spiritually rich, but in the wrong way. You see, in Jesus' mindset, the poor were those who were doing all the right things, but doing them for the wrong reasons. So on the outside, they put on the facade of being religious, but on the inside, it wasn't real. That person's poor, too. In other words, it's broken humanity. So Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, and he's saying that I have come to proclaim good news to all of those that are outcast, to those who have no hope, to those who have no understanding, to those who have no relationship to God, to those who are sick, to those who are poor. My good news blankets everybody that you think it doesn't. It covers Donald Trump and Hunter Biden. Whichever way you lean, it covers the other. I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he explains what that looks like. He has sent me to proclaim liberty. Liberty in this, in this, uh, I, does anyone have uh, release as their translation? So release here and liberty have have this it, it, the, the word here means to, to be set free, which then ties back into the notion of the scapegoat, right? So Jesus is saying, I've come to proclaim good news for the poor. What does that mean? I'm setting them free as the scapegoat. They're getting to leave behind. I'm taking on their sin. All the stuff that has made them poor, I'm going to take that on myself. They become the scapegoat. I am setting them free. So for those that are, that are captive to sin, to those that are captive because of something they've done wrong, to those that are captive because they're stuck in bad relationships, to those that are captive because they've made bad decisions, to those that are literally in prison, I've come to give them a different kind of freedom, a spiritual freedom, to set them free from their sin. That's what he's saying here. I am the day of atonement now, Jesus is saying, and I'm allowing you to be set free. You are no longer a captive, which then means you're no longer a captive. Guys, get the power of this. You are no longer a captive to what makes you poor. Now think about that in a culture of shame. In their culture, the thing that defines you more than anything, if you were a poor person, was what made you poor. 
And what he's saying is that no longer defines you. If you're sickly, you're no longer defined as sickly. If you're if you're poor, you're no longer like literal means poor. You're no longer defined by poor, poorness. If you've been kicked out of the church and have no connection to God, you're no longer defined by that. If you have no hope and you walk around sulking, you are no longer defined by your hopeless situation. Your new definition comes in me. If you just allow it. And I've come to recover for the recovering of sight to the blinds. So it's not only being set free, but it's also being made whole. Now, blind here, much like poor, has more than one meaning. Blind doesn't mean just physically blind. It means spiritually blind. It means blind to the truth of their situation. It means blind to the love of God. It means blind to those who have turned their back on God. It means anyone who has chosen blindness, who because of their circumstances would be considered spiritually blind, or who are literally physically blind. I've come to give them sight, to help them see who they were created to be and who they really are. Now, this is a radical message Jesus is speaking what he's saying to the religious leaders and everyone around him is the people that you think are untouchable and that no one else wants to have anything to do with, I've come for them too. And later in Luke, we see that he's, he's saying that I'm inviting these poor, uh, uh, hopeless, left-out people into, into deep relationship with me. I'm inviting them to be a part of my banquet, which is something that we will get to later in the series in Lent back to that. But he's saying, guys, look, I've come to set them free and to give them sight to redefine who they are. And then to release those who are oppressed. Which brings in the justice idea. There are people all around us who are treated unjustly. And oftentimes, we buy into that. And there are a thousand ways that this happens. But there are people who are oppressed one way or the other. It is spiritual oppression and it's literal oppression. They're oppressed because, because of the situation they grew up in in life. And they don't have the opportunity. They're oppressed because they chose wrongly and, and because of that they become slaves to sin so there's an oppression by the enemy to spiritual oppression too. There are others out there that are oppressed because they've chosen to be oppressed themselves. And what Jesus is saying is whether, whether you're oppressed by a system, systemic oppression, whether you're oppressed by Satan and by your own flesh and temptation, or whether you're oppressed because you just want to be oppressed, because you don't want to know me, I've come to set you free from all of that. You no longer have to live in that. I've come to set you free. You are now the scapegoat. And I'm the sacrifice. And then finally, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And because of the quote that I just read from Isaiah 58, and because of this quote, he's getting at the idea of the year of Jubilee. What is the year of Jubilee? Does anybody know? In Israel. Do you, do you know? 
reset debts. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, could you imagine? Hey, you owe $30,000 on that car? Don't worry about it. It's reset. It's done. The year of Jubilee, all debts were settled. The year of Jubilee, people who had been in prison could be set free. The year of Jubilee was built into the rhythm every seven years in the Jewish calendar. Every seven years, there was a year of Jubilee where people would be set free. And it was an abundance of, of grace. And so with this quote, he's tapping into the idea of the year of Jubilee. So what he's saying is, not only am I setting you free, not only am I removing anything that's a, a, a barrier between you and God, and not only am I giving you new life, but I'm canceling all of your debts. Now, we read those quotes from Isaiah, and we don't get all of that if we don't have some history and background and understanding Isaiah and what it meant to the people of God. But do understand that this message is very clear. Jesus is saying, I've come to reach the least of these. It's not the well who need a doctor, but it's the sick. As much as I like you, Matt, I'm not coming to you if I don't need it, if I don't actually have something wrong with me. In, in your office. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, get poked or prodded or whatever it is that doctors do. I'm not doing that just for the heck of it. Just for giggles. Hey, yeah. I go to a doctor when I'm sick. And what Jesus said, and what he's saying here more or less, is that I've come for those that are sick. I've come for the broken. I've come for the ones that everybody else thinks is unreachable. I've come for the least of these, from the outcast for the poor. Which means he came for you. Guys, do you realize we fit that definition? We fit that definition. And in the Jewish mindset, none of us in this room are wealthy. We're all poor. In the first century Jewish mindset. We're all broken. We're all in need of this scapegoat. We're all in need of atonement. We're all in need of setting our debt free and canceling it. And what Jesus is saying is that's what I've come for. This is incredible news. For all people, isn't that what the angel said at the birth? It's good news of great joy for all people. And we're part of the all people. And if you're watching, you're part of the all people. God came to set us right. To give us hope. To make us wealthy in relationship with him. To make us wealthy in hope. Now, some people take this and say to make us wealthy with wealth and that alone, and, and, and I don't believe that. But I do believe that God always provides if we're willing to take his provision. And we know that he doesn't always fill us completely. And I am looking at you, Becky. But we know that even through it, he's with you, right? Even through your mom's battle with cancer, he was there every step of the way. 
It's not a date night for cats. Good call, though, by the way. It's not champagne and roses and chocolate-covered strawberries. Real love is action. Real love is what Jesus did. Real love steps into our mess and says, here, I'm here to pull you up out of the mess. I'm not getting in the mess and wallowing with you, but I'll pull you out. Come with me. I want to give you something. I want to set you free. I want to set you straight, and I want to set your debt clean. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And in this, in my mind's eye, I, this is how I see this scene. He sits down slowly, and every eye is watching. Because in their day, after they read the scroll, they would literally sit down before they talked about it. And Jesus sits down, and all eyes are on him. Everybody's watching him, and it's almost this pregnant pause, waiting to hear what he says. And he began to say to them, today, today, not in the future, not when you're dead, not when the right person or the wrong person is elected, not when the United States has a revival, not when all of that other stuff that you always hear, but today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's already happened. Jesus came to set this love explosion on the world. The redemption already began. The good news has already been preached. The poor are already being made rich. Are you? One time, and I don't even remember how old I was, I got a box of chocolate, probably from my parents, for Valentine's Day. Wasn't very big, and I opened up the box. It was pretty, by the way. It was, it was thick, cardboard, red, shiny, with the doily kind of lacy edges around it. It said something on there, and I don't even remember what. And I opened up the box, and the chocolate was gone. If you know my father, <laughs> yesterday we got home, and Laura had baked these beautiful chocolate chip cookies. Yes, warm. Delicious, and we had left them out. Nice Valentine's treat. And it was the kind of cookie that the, the, uh, she put a um, uh, paper towel over it, and the butter had kind of seeped into the paper towel. You know, it was just totally horrible for you, but you just know it's going to be that good cookie when you peel it back. And we go and we lift it up, and the cookie was gone. We're like, wait, what? Well, I was like, Todd, did you? Like, no, there were 10 of these. I know you didn't need them. I was like, no, I didn't have one. And then we look over in the corner. 
been discombobulated. They had just kind of been moved around. And, and so Lincoln had gotten up on the table, had removed, I don't know how, had eaten all the cookies under the towel, and then somehow left it back right there. I don't know how. Do you know how disappointing it was that day that I opened up the box of chocolates and there was half of them gone or almost all of them gone? Or, or last night when you go to lift up that cookie tray, there's no cookies left because your dog got them while you were out? But guys, that's what faux love does. It leaves you empty. Real love is what Jesus gives. It gives purpose. It gives freedom. It changes the game. This Valentine's Day, don't settle for these. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.